Morning, everyone. Morning. So uh, I want to start this morning just by asking, uh, actually, just by chatting through board games. Who likes board games who are here? Yes, yes, a few of us like board games. Uh, I want one, a couple of my favorite board games, actually. Let's go into this. Kerplunk. Does anyone remember Kerplunk? Yes. Hungry Hippos. Hungry Hippos. Uh, about a year and a half ago, when uh, our boy would have been three years old, he was beating me consistently at Hungry Hippos. And I couldn't for the life, like I was trying, and I couldn't for the life of me beat him at all, and I was getting really, really frustrated. Uh, Anyway, one of my favorite games is Monopoly. Hands up here if you like Monopoly. Yes, we need to have a Monopoly small group, guys. That's what we need to do. Uh, And with Monopoly, we're going to have a bit of a confession time. If we could get the first image up. Hands up if playing Monopoly, you're a little bit like this. Dun, dun, dun. We stack the money up and we're living the grand life. We're thinking, yes, I'm winning at Monopoly. Anybody here enjoy doing that? No, just me, okay. Uh, next slide. Hands up if this is what happens when you end up playing Monopoly. Oh, more hands there. Guys, we'll pray for you guys later, okay? Uh, one of my favorite games is Monopoly. And with Monopoly, acquisition is the key to survival. And when I played Monopoly when I was younger, I learned some harsh lessons because I had family members who were incredible at Monopoly and would consistently uh, and constantly beat me every single time we played Monopoly. And we'd have a family friend who would buy everything and then just rule over us all. And it was demoralizing. The Sunday post-church games time was not a great time for me growing up. And uh, they were dreaded. All the hotels would go up and all the money would be gone and I'd be out of the game quicker uh, than everyone else. And it was getting too much. So I decided to have a look and see how, they, how, they, how were they playing the game. I'm going to try and adopt some of their tactics in terms of playing the game. And about 11 or 12 years old, it was just before I went into academy, I won my first family game of Monopoly. And I had Park Lane, had Mayfair, had them all. And built the hotels, sorted it all out. And looking back, it's probably in my top 10 life moments, winning that game of Monopoly. I'm not going to lie. It's maybe number 9 or 10 now. Uh, but I was extremely proud of that. Another game is Risk. Anyone played Risk? Yes. Oh, a few people are, ooh, yeah, Risk. I played Risk once with friends. I've only played it once. And they got proper into it. They dimmed the lights. They had the Lord of the Rings theme track playing in the background. And we played Risk for about three or four hours. And the first time playing it, I ended up winning. So I'm never playing Risk again. And I'll have a 100% record at that. And uh, I won my only game at Risk. But at the end of these games, Risk and Monopoly, at the end of these games of building and acquiring and spending and going, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. Where does it all go? And what does it all count for? Because at the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. What we have in our hands today as individuals is but for a temporary moment. But how we use it really matters. It really matters. What is the legacy that's left with what we have in our hands? You know, stewardship, which we're going to unpack a bit, and legacy are linked. How we play the game, how we play games, people remember. I, I used to be very competitive. 
at games. I was super competitive once. And now, every game I play, people say, Thomas is really competitive. I'm not competitive. Well, maybe I'm a little bit competitive. But stuck with me. How we steward what God has given us will shape our, our legacy. A man called Gary Vaynerchuk, which is an incredible second name, says, please think about your legacy because you are writing it every day. I want to ask us this morning, is the story that we are writing a Jesus story today? Because as I've chewed over the passage today, as I've looked at uh, this week, and as I've looked at stewardship, I want that. I want a Jesus story for my life. I so want that. Not to be praised, but to praise God, to make a difference, to write a new story for this city. And I, I long for that for our church. I long for it for our church to write Jesus stories of radical adoptions, of people becoming debt-free, for the homeless to be housed, for the hungry to be fed, for the lost to be found, for hope to be restored in people's lives, for addictions to be broken, for spaces of love and relationship and friendship to be grown. And all of that, all of that is linked to being good stewards. Because we all, every single one of us here this morning have a part to play in that. All of us, from the youngest to the oldest, from the richest to the poorest, from the newest to the oldest Christian, to the most fit, to the most frail. So how are we impacting and loving those around us? Are we good stewards of what has been placed in our hands and been given by God? Stewardship is so, so important. Joyce Mayer says, we must remember we are stewards of what God has provided for us, not owners. And a man called John MacArthur says, all Christians are but God's stewards. Everything we have is on loan from the Lord, entrusted to us for a while to use in serving Him. So the passage we're going to look at very quickly this morning, just to paint a bit of a picture, Jesus has sent out the 72, as it's known, 72 disciples who are going to live for him and share the hope of, of the hope of the world. And it's the early days in Jesus' ministry, and there's an expert in religious law who has stood up to test Jesus. This man is a skilled lawyer uh, in Mosaic law. He knows his stuff, and Jesus encounters a lot of this in his time on earth. So we're going to read Luke 10, 25 to 37, and it'll be up on the screen uh, behind me as well. It says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an end, and he took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii, denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. This morning we are, are detouring a bit. We are, usually we're going through a, a series in Exodus, but this morning we are detouring back to a little series we've been doing called Storms and Ships. And it's based on a, a passage in Acts 27 to 28 when the Apostle Paul is shipwrecked and the centurion, a, a man who was on board, a, shouts when it's becoming shipwrecked, swim to shore and if you can't swim to safety, hold on to a piece of the ship to get to safety. Uh, so... We're going to be lo- we've been looking at different pieces of the ship that we can hold on to uh, when storms come, when battles come. And uh, we have looked at friendship. We need folk who have our backs and point us to Jesus. We've looked at worship, remembering who God is and praising him. And we've looked at citizenship, that we are to look at our situations with a heavenly perspective. And I am running out of words ending in ship. So if anybody has any suggestions... Because Battleship, I'm struggling with a sermon of that, and Starship, that's the only two I've got, so please chat to me over a coffee afterwards. Uh, We're looking at stewardship this morning. It might be the very last one in this series, who knows. But being a a good steward means that we use our God-given abilities. I see a few people chuckling, they maybe come up with some. Uh, Our God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to help accomplish God's will. And when we think about stewardship, we often think about money. The giving of our resources. But giving money to the church is not stewardship. It's it's, it's a part of stewardship. But we can't be stewards without the giving of money. So it's our abilities. If we take a moment and have a think of, you know, what are our God-given abilities? What has He given us specifically? Maybe it's drawing or singing, playing football, building, dancing, writing, thinking. Maybe God's blessed us with an exceptional mind, an exceptional brain. With our resources, where has He placed us? What's He placed into our hands? So it's our attitude to giving and service. What we have in our hands, our wallets, our houses, our families, the stuff that God has entrusted to us and how we use it. And stewardship is so well illustrated in the story of the Good Samaritan, a really well-known story in God's Word. There are three distinct lifestyle choices at work here with uh, this passage. And we have to remember this piece of stewardship, that we all have unique, powerful gifts that God has given us to use, to protect in the good seasons and the bad seasons. So when the battles come, we push in more, we contest more, we we grip this piece tight, and we choose to be Uh, We choose to continue to be good stewards of what God has given us, to leave a kingdom legacy. So where are we looking? Where are we looking this morning when it comes to what we've been given? I say this quote an awful lot, probably every every two weeks. John Wimber, one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement, says, Show me what you spend your time, your money, your energy on, and I will show you what you worship. I want to ask us this morning, where is our worship directed Where's the destination? Where is our legacy pointed? 
So the first thing we want to look at is the robbers in this passage. And uh, looking to gain what should never be ours. Uh, back in primary school, there uh, was a fascination that went beyond Tamagotchis. So when I was in primary school, Tamagotchis were the things. They were the, the things that everybody had. Did anybody have a Tamagotchi? And you tried to feed it, and then it would die two days later. You'd throw it against the wall, and then you'd buy another one. Uh, so also Push Pops. Does anyone remember Push Pops? The sweets? Yes. I'm not going to sing the song. Uh, but there was also Pogs. Does anyone remember Pogs? Yes. There were these little, I'm going to get this right, little like, round token things. Uh, thick plastic tokens, and you'd have uh, what was called a slammer, which is an even thicker piece of plastic. And the aim of the game was you would buy some pogs, they'd be all shiny and uh, different stuff on them, and you would face your friend at getting these pogs. And what you'd do is you'd choose some pogs that you want to enter into the battle, and you'd put them into the middle, and then they'd put the same one in, you'd stack them together, then you'd use your thicker piece, the slammer, and you'd bash it on top. So you'd like throw it on top of this pile of pogs and they would flip over. Now, if the other person's pogs flipped over, you, you got them. So they were yours and you managed to acquire them. But then if yours flipped over, they got them. So I had this friend who had a pog that I really wanted. And it was a well, it was a coveted pog. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. But uh, I do remember, this is, this is maybe not a great illustration, but we're going to run with it. We're going to run with it. And I really wanted this pog. We'll maybe edit out the sermon. Uh, I really wanted this pog. And uh, he ran out of the room. And I wasn't getting it every time I threw the slammer down. And he ran out of the room and I kind of shouted to him, I'm just going to take my shot. Just going to take my shot. So I took my shot with the slammer. And uh, the pog that I wanted didn't flip over. But he wasn't in the room yet, was he? <laughs> so uh, when he wasn't... Guys, I was a lot younger. This didn't happen last week, just to clarify. <laughs> uh, when he was out of the room, just quickly flipped it over, and I went, oh, yes, I've won it. He says, how'd you get on? How'd you get on? Oh, look, I've got all these ones, and yeah, I feel, I feel kind of bad by that. So, David Aiken, if you ever listen to the podcast online, we'll go for a pint, and I'll explain the rationale behind my decision. <laughs> that pog that I wanted... <laughs> should never have been mine. It should never have been mine. I want to ask us, how often can we fixate on stuff that is never meant to be ours? And often we go to great, unhealthy lengths to try and get it. We see this with the thieves, a desire to gain what should never have been theirs. With the robbers, it was never meant to be theirs. In the passage, it says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. I was brought up in a, a place called Vale of Leaven, about 15 miles from Glasgow. And during the course of 11 years, we got burgled six times in our house. And I remember as a child going back home from holidays, and we'd have this nervous feeling driving back after it's happened two or three times. And as an 11, 12-year-old kid, when you get home and you get into the driveway and you see your dad's study window and the glass panes are taken off and lined up on the wall, it's not great. And at that moment, I think, what, what have they taken? What have they taken that's mine? What have they taken that's mine? Those things that those uh, robbers, in our instance, had taken away had never meant to be theirs. The fishing rods and all my computer games and all the things that are precious to us were taken away. In a similar way, how often can we fixate on stuff that isn't meant to be part of our stewardship 
that distracts us, that God hasn't entrusted to us, that is never meant to be part of our story. We're not to steal it from the person it's been entrusted to. The robbers remind us of an attitude of desiring things that are never meant to be ours and looking to take them at any given opportunity. They had a plan and they executed it. Stealing in on someone else's story instead of taking stock of what's in front of them, what God has entrusted to them. Perhaps some of us this morning feel a little bit challenged by that. We're desiring someone else's story this morning, perhaps. Someone else's path, someone else's stuff. And God is whispering, just, just be put to work with what I've given you. I have given you enough. Don't be chasing what isn't ours. Perhaps there's some of us that have been doing that and it's got unhealthy. The robbers remind us that that is not God's plan for us. And we, as uh, Gilbert said, we'd love to pray with you every week. We offer an opportunity after the service uh, to respond. So firstly, we have the robbers looking to gain what should never be ours. Secondly, looking to protect and keep what we have. That says who we have. Oh no, it says what. I think the projector needs to be moved over. Looking to protect and keep what we have. Buckingham Palace, uh, the royal residence. Let me explain Buckingham Palace to you a second. It has 775 rooms. It has 1,500 doors and it has 700 windows. That's a lot of doors and windows and rooms. In terms of security, it has 24-7 foot and horse guards from the British Army posted inside and outside the royal home. In fear of terrorist attacks, there's panic rooms that are made of 18 inches of steel that are built throughout the palace to protect the royal family. You'll be wondering why I'm telling you this. Let me tell you about the White House, where the US president lives. It has 147 bulletproof windows. It's staffed by 1,300 members of the United States Secret Service. There's an entire SWAT team that's positioned on the roof at any time the president leaves or enters the White House. And if that's not enough, there's a president Emergency Operations Center, which is located six stories beneath the White House. And this is used for the president to escape a crisis, which means he can still go uh, and do his day-to-day -day duties uh, during an emergency. Now, because of the scale of the buildings and the situations, there's a lot of security around these buildings and the people in them. But with these two examples, these two buildings, it's all about protecting and keeping intact what has been built, which isn't a bad thing because these are places that are prone to attack. These are places that are, are places of high risk. You know, as I, I was reading them and, and thinking, it's kind of the same with us. <coughs> it's kind of the same with us as followers of Jesus. When we fully step out to what God has called us to, when we are obedient to his plan, we are in risk of attack because we are a danger to the enemy. We are a danger to the enemy. And we have to guard our faith. We have to protect it, but not protect it to the point of inaction or dismissing what is in front of us. In verse 31 in the passage, we read this. You know that way you've got a tickle and you continue and your voice goes higher. 
Did you try to battle through? <coughs> there we go. Hopefully. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. These two men were men of God. These two men were servants of God. They devoted their lives to God. They both crossed the road. They both walked past. A problem to avoid. Perhaps an inconvenience. Perhaps they didn't want to risk losing. Perhaps they wanted to protect what they had. Keep it all safe and tidy and predictable. Perhaps they had something else on. Perhaps they had a meeting to get to. Perhaps they'd seen the blood and thought of their expensive robes. Perhaps they didn't want to associate with a naked, beaten man and the risk of somebody else seeing them with such a sorry state of a person. Perhaps it was all to do with how it would impact their time, their money, their energy, and it was too big an ask. What they had in their hands was grasped so tightly in their identity and their reputation. Perhaps it was almost robotic. They crossed. They didn't see the true extent of the need that was placed in front of them. Thank you very much. I purposely used that security example with the White House and with Buckingham Palace because I felt it showed for some of us perhaps how, many, how much we put up walls of security to protect ourselves, but actually it's too much. It's fit for a palace of this world, but not for a person of Jesus. We're to trust God. He will protect us. And we're not to keep a hold so tightly because we'll lose sight of when we're to be a help to other people. Maybe the priest and the Levite had a bad experience before. Maybe they went to help before and got beat up. Who knows? We'll never know. We'll never know. But in terms of stewardship, we must not, we must protect what God has given us, but we must not do it to the point of inaction. The gifts, the resources, the callings, it's not only for us. It's not only for our benefit. It's for others. In the passage in verse 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If, you, if we've been crossing the road in situations and opportunities, it's perhaps a time this morning to say, I'm going to cross back. There's always time. If maybe we've been going through our weeks and we know, we know there's been moments where God has called us to step out, but we've, we've walked past. Maybe God's reminding us what stewardship truly, really is, how he really wants to use us, what he has given us, and he will always protect us in that. He will always protect us in that. So looking to protect and keep what we have. And then finally, looking out for how to give out what we have. When we uh, started Inverness Vineyard Church, when we came and God gave us this dream of, uh, of planting a church and calling us to this city, we had a, a wee idea that God uh, imprinted on our hearts called kindness, using Ness, Inverness, kindness. And to be people that have at the very heart uh, of our church to bless the city, to bless the city. So we've been out and we've given cream eggs. That's a real blessing to folk at Easter time. Chocolate coins at Christmas time. Uh, summertime went out and gave bracelets and face masks, like kids' face masks, not, not the, uh, the other ones. Though that would be good maybe, I don't know. Uh, 
what else, cans of iron brew, cans of coke, just to let people know, just to give them a little gift and to say, we are for you, we love you, we love this city. And because we want the story of this church to be a generous church, we want to be a generous church, to be good stewards of what we have in our hands. And in our short time as a church, we are two years in October, and we have been the recipients of some incredible generosity. Just to paint a picture uh, for some of us, a few of us might not know the story, uh, but we got sent out from a church uh, which is now known as Catalyst Vineyard, City Church Aberdeen, uh, back in October, all of it, August 2017. And we got sent out, there was eight of us, so me and Mary had uh, this calling that God spoke to us about, and then six other adults and their kids said, we're with you. God's spoken to us. We're going to come to Inverness as well. And at that point, we then had a gift day. So not only did we get sent out from our, the church we were part of, we had a gift day from the church that we were sent out from, and we got given £18,000. We got given £18,000 as a gift. So the congregation that we left all gave that to us and said, go, be blessed. So we had that in our hands, and that has allowed us to bless the city. That has allowed us to put on spaces like this. That has allowed us to get the equipment that we have to make this happen. It's allowed me to be employed a couple of days a week uh, to, to lead the church and to try to impart vision and uh, direction to where we're going and what God's saying. Then, so we had that, and then our year birthday came up. And a week before our year birthday in October 20, that would be October 2018, we had a one-off gift of £22,000. So I met with someone in a coffee shop and they said, we want to gift this. And I burst out crying. I stood up and said, give me a hug. Everyone in the coffee shop would be like, what's going on? But I couldn't, I couldn't stop crying for about the rest of the day. £22,000. And this has allowed us to run kids' events. It's allowed us to hire bigger halls in this space. It's allowed us to get some more equipment to, to do what we're doing. But more importantly, it's allowed us to hire a bunch of staff. So we've, we've taken on people. We've taken on a couple of children's pastors and uh, an administrator. We're starting a toddler group later on this year, so mainly music is going to be birthed. It's allowed us to give to four mission partners around the world. We're actually giving closer to 20% of what we have coming in as a church out uh, to those in need in our cities and beyond. So we give to Home for Good, who have a heart for adoption throughout the UK. We give to Kids Club Kampala, who deal with the most vulnerable children in Uganda, uh, and also Gateway, who are a local charity in Inverness, who are helping with uh, vulnerable homeless people in our city as well. And the Vineyard Movement as well, as they look to plant more churches uh, throughout the world. We are trying as a church to look out, to give, to uh, what, we ha what we have where we can, and as much as we can. And we see this with the Samaritan man. Let's read through the passage very quickly. We're coming to a close. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. So this is a Samaritan with a Jewish man. This is not normal. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him. He took pity on him. The Samaritan saw him. He acknowledged him. He saw him, and he responded Verse 34, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. What he had in his hands, he gave. Then he put the man on his own donkey. So not only that, his own donkey, he put the man on and I assume he walked with the donkey and with the man. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. 
So he didn't take him back to his house. He took him to an inn. Inn cost money. He gave. Verse 35, the next day. What? He didn't leave him at the inn and say, okay, mate. He went back. He went back the next day to that inn. And not only that, he took out two denarii. Denarii, 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 denarii. Two coins. <laughs> which are the equivalent to two days' wages. He went back. Not only that, he gave him the equivalent to two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you. And he reimbursed the innkeeper. I've never seen that in this passage. It's incredible. It's incredible. His time, stopping, helping, walking, returning, contacting, his money, the oil, the wine, the inn, the denarii, the extra expenses, the energy, all that walking, the lifting, the sorting. Here is a man who understands stewardship. Here is a man who is looking out to give what is in his hands. Here is a man that is on the lookout who has God's eyes and ears and is saying, where have I to go? Who is in need? How have I to bless them? You know, the key thing as we close we can only give out what we've been given. And we are trying as a church in these early days to be good stewards. But to be good, good stewards as a church, we need to be good stewards as individuals. And those who are in our church will testify to this. We are not the kind of church that speak about money week in, week out. But in the context of this talk and the season of life we are in as a church. Can I ask, if you call Inverness Vineyard Church your spiritual home, we would love you to ask afresh three things. Where am I investing my time? Where am I investing my money? Where am I investing my energy? Where is it directed? And where does Inverness Vineyard Church factor in that? If this is your place, we would love you to be giving regularly by direct debit. It allows us to budget. It allows us to continue what we're doing and to build on it. We have little cards at the back that have give now and serve now. Uh, so you can have the details online in terms of how to do that and what's easier to do that. We'd love you to be serving regularly, to be joining the team. If you see a gap, we'd love to be, you to be going, I'm here. If you see somebody who's on the same thing three times, that's a gap, three, three weeks in a row. We have gaps everywhere. We maybe don't shout about it a lot, but we'd love you to get stuck in and to, to have a piece of the puzzle. And we'd love you to invest your energy not just in here, but to evaluate in terms of life, where is my energy directed? Where is it truly directed? Is it worthwhile? Is it making a difference? Is it healthy? Am I stewarding it well? For us to make a difference in Inverness, it's not going to happen with a, a generous minority or with a minority who steward well. He wants us all to play a part. And that means we understand what God's given us in our hands it's not ours. It's to be stewarded well, and it's to be given out to others where possible. This piece called stewardship is so important, so important. We must hold on to it. We must evaluate where we're at with it, and we must respond to need. Why don't we stand?